Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. Today's sermon was given by guest preacher Jared Brown. If you'd like to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1-2, which we will find in the New Testament section of our Pew Bibles on page 154 or on screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded, since we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hunger for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven, amen. Romans 12, verse one. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. I am truly honored to be with you all today, um, to be in this uh, beautiful place, but with people with beautiful hearts. Uh, Joel, I don't know what else I can add this morning. Um, Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm also honored to be here today because it's a moment in time when there's so many things that we could be talking about, and I get to come and share what I want to talk about, and it has been my prayer that is what uh, the Spirit wants you all to hear today as well. There's so many things right now that are competing for our attention all across the globe, but in particular in our great land here in the U.S., And it's also interesting that as there are so many different things competing for our attention that are truly important topics, they're also extremely polarizing. I want to make one thing very clear this morning that I do not come with a political agenda. I come with a kingdom agenda this morning. So anything that might, might uh, rub a little bit on you Please consider that my motives are kingdom motives, not political motives. Because right now, whether it's gun control, whether it's school curriculum issue, whether it's race, whether it's gender, immigration, politics in general, the list goes on and on. We find ourselves, many of us, bound up in fear to use our voice. It's interesting that we are at a point in time where the voiceless can have their voice be heard unlike ever before through social media. But many of us actually fear 
to use our voice, to say one thing with our, our point of view is this way or it's that way. And I don't think that I'm the only one who probably has a friend, perhaps a believer, that we have seen the way they express their personal views and opinions on social media without any regard for how their opinions might affect someone else. Perhaps even the opinion of someone as to what it means to be a believer, to be a follower of Christ. You, you know, this fear, this fear that binds us up has bound me up from voicing an opinion many times. It's an interesting thing. Left to itself, fear can be paralyzing to us. It is so powerful. We could say that fear is the fruit of risk. Whether it's perceived or a real risk, and risk being a measure of uncertainty, a measure of the unknown of whatever potential outcome might be. And this fear of risk, whether it's perceived or real, it can destroy. It can turn the vulnerable into the victim. It can turn the advocate into the enemy. It can make the right thing truly be the wrong thing to do, at least in our minds. And this fear can smother a candle burning bright with the darkness of secrecy. You know, we as humans, but in particular as Americans, we want to know. We want to know how things are going to end. We want to know what the outcome is going to be before we dive into something. Knowledge and growing and understanding, it's it's part of our DNA. Our DNA is part of the way that God made us. From the beginning of time, this desire to know and to know more has gotten us into trouble. I must confess that if I'd been in that garden, there's no way that Eve would have eaten that fruit and messed things up for me. No way, because I would have already eaten the fruit and messed things up for her. Because I would want to know what is really behind this fruit. And while truly I am a fan of growing in knowledge, of not being scared to ask those tough questions, whether it's about life, social situations, or about the scripture and about God's deity, I must accept that there will also be many situations that present themselves where I just will not know the outcome until I act, until I do something. Situations where I must first overcome my fear of that unknown outcome of what might possibly happen. And I'm going to have to take that risk. I, we all have different levels of comfort with risk. It's, it's interesting how it can truly affect our personality and how we approach just about everything in life. And we've all, we've all known people that, to us, it, it seems like they just throw caution to the wind and, and just do anything on a whim. And oftentimes we'll say, well, they're fearless. Actually speaking from experience as one who's been accused many times of being fearless, I can say that it's not true. I do feel fear 
I think most others who would be characterized as fearless feel fear as well, but there are many ventures I want to go on and experiences that I want to have and lost souls who I want to know Jesus and wrongs that I want to right. So the outcome for me far outweighs my fear of the risk. But don't misunderstand, there definitely still is fear. I believe that weekly, if not daily, all of us are presented with situations where God not only wants us to act, where he's given us insights to act, he's not only wanting us to act, hoping we act, he's counting on us to act. Where if we don't act, there will likely be consequences that we don't understand or consequences that perhaps we'll never be aware of that very likely could have been avoided. So why do so many of these moments pass us by without acting? I think it's because we don't know what the outcome will be. We don't know what the response will be. We don't know how to be perceived. I'm not talking about speaking up about your favorite politician of choice uh, or, or, you know, your view on a mask or a vaccine or, or chiming in the latest topic du jour that 24 hours news has to exhaust in order to have content. I'm talking about insights that I believe that the Holy Spirit gives each of us in special moments in time because he needs us to act. That moment when we perceive that a child is at risk, when we perceive that a friend maybe is drinking too much, when we perceive that this person is not safe in the relationship that they're in, when we perceive that a friend is dangerously close to having an affair, or your business partner or colleague who's about to lie about this income or these taxes, there's so many different circumstances that are in front of us that are scary situations. They're scary to get involved in. And my experience is that, unfortunately, we choose not to act most of the time. We choose to stay quiet. We make a choice to not get involved, a choice to look the other way, or do the least amount possible so that then someone else who's better equipped, can take care of it. Why would we do that? It, it could be that we simply don't care about that situation. That's a topic for a whole, whole nother year of study, probably. It could be that we just don't want to deal with the stress of getting involved in it because we know it's going to be complicated. It's going to be messy. We, we, we maybe feel, well, it's not my problem. It's not my deal. Why would I get involved? All those excuses, I think, are a more palatable way of just saying we're scared. We're scared of how the unknown outcome might affect us. And in doing so, we fail to consider the adverse effects 
adverse effects that might be the outcome for that person that God was counting on us to act for him in that situation. You know, fear is a peculiar thing. If a force or a lack thereof could be considered a physical measure of weakness, then fear could easily be considered a mental measure of weakness. And Paul challenges us in, in Romans 12 that was read for us that to, we've got to not keep on doing things how we've been doing them or how our culture does it, but to try new things, change our mindset, change our viewpoint, and allow transformation to happen to us. And when that transformation happens to us, it's impossible for, for, for this transformation to not then happen through us for those around us. I find it amazing that when we're able to harness that fear and truly name it for what it is, a weakness, that's when God truly gets to do some of his most amazing work. But until we're able to acknowledge it, able to accept this weakness for what it is, then our human nature to take care of things ourselves, to stiff arm God, whether it's intentional or, or unintentionally, we block him from the whole process. Paul confessed in 2 Corinthians that for when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's because it's only when you have accepted the reality of our weakness that our minds will allow us as humans, in a land, in a culture where we are taught to do things ourselves and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and make things happen, when we, when we are able to make that confession, it's when God can truly come in and do far more than we ever would have been able to accomplish on our own. I find it amazing that when we're able to to do that. That it puts us in a place of vulnerability. And, and it allows us to depend on God the way he's wanted us to from the beginning. But we must act. We can't sit idly by. And as followers of Christ, adopted to a family through the blood of Christ. It's part of our job description. It's not a choice. It's not, oh, well, I want this salvation stuff and, 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 and that's great, but I'm not so sure. I'll pass on this other thing. It's not an option. God is counting on us as his ambassadors, as his representatives on this globe, as citizens of the kingdom above all else. Hold on tight. During the last fiscal year reported by the United States Customs and Border Patrol, there were 1.73 million migrant encounters at our southern border. 
2022 is expected to top that. Of that 1.73 million, 309,000 were, were from one country alone, Honduras. 18% of the total number is from one country, a higher percentage than from any other country. And 42% of all of those who were detained were from an area known as the Northern Triangle. And folks, our southern border, it's not just people from Latin America. It's from the globe that find their way to this thin body of land that leads up to our southern border. This Northern Triangle is three countries of Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador. What's going on? 20 years ago, we didn't ever, we'd never heard of the Northern Triangle. We didn't have this massive immigration problem. So what's happening? Well, there's one phenomena that we see in this land, them coming, but three key events happened in Central America that has produced this. In 1997, international coffee prices reached an all-time high of $1.79 a pound. The great prices for coffee uh, encouraged farmers throughout the region of Central America to take out loans and expand their farms so they could improve their family situation. Then in October of 1998, Hurricane Mitch the most powerful hurricane to ever hit Central America ravaged Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala. In Honduras, every sector of the economy was affected. Chiquita Banana, with banana farms throughout the country, was decimated. When it came time to replant, they only replanted back about half of the acreage they had before Hurricane Mitch. The reduction in production left thousands if not tens of thousands of unskilled laborers unemployed and with no other option to provide for their families. Hurricane Mitch produced some very swift raging currents, both raging river currents as well as strong currents of, of poverty, unlike any that had ever been seen in the region. These currents swept away many. Those that were living in vulnerable places, often in shacks and in, in houses that weren't stable, close to the riverbanks. It's estimated that some 30,000 people in Honduras alone died, and countless others who weren't swept away by the rivers were swept away by, by raging currents just as powerful as that water raging currents of poverty. The destruction, physical and economical, left in the wake of Hurricane Mitch marked the beginning of mass immigration to the U.S. from the countries of the Northern Triangle. Then in 2001, only three years after Hurricane Mitch, international coffee prices dropped to a record historical low of 56 cents per pound. That was just four years after reaching a record high in 1997, a record that stood until this year right now of 2022. The low market price for coffee made loan repayment impossible, and farmers were forced, no other option to choose between losing their farms 
or possibly migrating to the U.S. with the hopes of being able to earn enough money to get their loans pay off and come back to the family farm. After Hurricane Mitch, the international community who had responded to the dire needs of the region, they had seemingly hoped that those raging currents that had swept so many away, they had hoped that these currents had died down. But they didn't. At least not those currents, those very strong currents of poverty. They only continued to rise, sweeping away more vulnerable people that daily live too close to the edge. In 2010, after years of human rights battles and labor lawsuits, Chiquita Banana announced they were closing all operations in the region, including their headquarters in Honduras, after more than a hundred year presence. The closure left thousands more, not just individuals, but of unskilled families with no way to provide for themselves. In the blink of an eye, that swift current still rising had broken through any man-made economic levy. And thousands that for so long had been teetering so close to the edge were swept away. Last year, the U.S. saw the highest level of illegal immigrant detention in 20 years, that it seems like fear has paralyzed our nation from being able to find sustainable solutions. At the same time last year, Mission Lazarus, the organization that I'm blessed and honored to lead, celebrated 20 years of equipping and empowering the vulnerable. Those who've historically teetered on the edge of those swift currents of actual rivers, as well as the swift currents of poverty in both Honduras and Haiti. With one simple mission to empower individuals to live abundant lives now and for forever. Our approach to serving vulnerable populations is not focused on pulling them out of those swift currents, nor is it to throw a life jacket or a, or a lifesaver to them so that we can pull them to shore. It's not to... It, provide massive numbers of inflatable dinghies so we can artificially keep them afloat just a little bit longer. We partner with vulnerable individuals and communities through a holistic approach to education, health, spiritual, and economic development that empowers them, their families, and in turn, their entire communities to build new and strong foundations. Foundations way back upstream, far away from the edges of those swift currents that have swept so many away. Simply put, we focus on providing solutions to the never-ending crises rather than focusing on the endless cycle of emergency rescues. It's an approach that's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> you can't be successful if you let fear dictate your response, your strategy for how you hope to achieve this. It requires true commitment to the long game, but that's how transformation works. 
Rarely does lasting change happen overnight. And we've seen that through a sustainable approach to serve the individual, that those served are able, many of them for the first time, to recognize their self-worth. And in doing so, we're able to see their eternal worth brought to light. We believe that not only are eternities being transformed through deep relationships, these deep relationships provide us with the privilege, and I believe it's a privilege to be able to sit down and dive deep with someone on their faith, on their doubt, and their questions. It's through those relationships that we are afforded this blessing. We've witnessed Similar to those of you who are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we've witnessed that when an individual isn't safe, when they're not protected, when daily life is traumatic, as living in poverty almost always is, regardless of where you are on this planet, that allowing yourself to be vulnerable, vulnerable even for the Holy Spirit to work in your life, is next impossible. And that's what motivates us to seek solutions that empower the people we serve to live abundant lives. John 10, 10, Christ said, I've come so you have life and life in abundance, life to the fullest. Now, I don't think which I did for a long time, but today I don't think that we can infer that that abundance is speaking to a spiritual abundance. I don't get that when I just read those words at face value. I do believe that that abundance Jesus spoke of does indeed include spiritual abundance and any other abundance that we can think of. Some of you all maybe right now are thinking, oh, wow, this guy, like, he wants to, like, turn the whole globe into the United States or wants to bring everybody here to enjoy our abundance? Absolutely not. Because I believe that there is a stark difference between abundance that Jesus spoke about and the excess that we, most of us in this room probably, have in our lives. He spoke about that to the rich young ruler, Matthew 19. But you know, abundance is a tricky concept. It's hard to figure out what abundance is or what excess is when we live in a land of plenty. Not just plenty of resources, but opportunities. I think the simplest way for an American to conceptualize what abundance is in the eyes of people that live beyond our borders, it's when most likely us men look to our wife on Sunday night, honey, what's for dinner tonight? And she quickly responds, dear, there's leftovers in the fridge. Warm yourself up a plate. Leftovers. That's abundance but not excess. But that's a level of abundance that 82% of our globe who survive on less than $10 a day, it's a foreign concept that they don't understand. We've come to love our seemingly 
protected. This is not a political statement. This is a kingdom statement. We have come to love our seemingly protected fiefdom here in our great country more than we love the kingdom. Our fiefdom, the USA, while historically it was formed from ethnicities from around the globe, the more the majority of them look a lot like me, But as far back as 1776, our forefathers declared in writing that all men are created equal. But even still, it took almost 100 years for slavery to be abolished, and then another 100 years for the topic of civil rights to even be considered in our land. We're not here today unaware of how our country was made. But we do forget that when it was made, even just a hundred years ago, nine of every 10 immigrants coming here were from Europe. And even though they might have looked similar to each other, similar to me, they had very different cultures, different languages, very different religious views, and some of them truly hating others. A hundred years ago, they didn't blend together like Caucasians do today. Our great land or our fiefdom has been spared conquest as well because we've historically been protected. Protected to the east and the west by massive bodies of water to the north by another country that, let's be honest, looks a lot like me and protected to the south by, believe it or not, it truly is a barrier, a massive desert. And that's how a nation of immigrants came to feel entitled to be here. Interestingly enough, entitled to be here even though more than the, even though the original people here have been here for an estimated 15,000 years before we ever stepped foot here. The overwhelming majority of those who came to this continent to start new lives in the 300 years leading up to the 20th century back when immigrants were welcome, were motivated. There was one primary motivation for them to risk everything to get here. And it's the same reason that motivates immigrants that has motivated immigrants throughout the 20th century and the same reason that motivates them today. As people, we want to thrive. This body of believers here is beautiful, it's diverse, it's active, and it doesn't appear scared stiff. But only you know, you, each one of you. I challenge you all today, be bold and consider how you can have an impact on the life of someone who isn't thriving, who doesn't know what it means to enjoy leftovers. Don't throw them a life jacket. Don't send them a dinghy. That's what I was referred to when we do the very least so that then someone else can deal with it. Let's not conform to what everyone else is doing, but let's open our minds, seek new insights, and allow the Holy Spirit to transform our lives and in turn the hurting all around us and beyond. I challenge you to overcome that fear that can grip us all when we don't know what will happen 
work to find lasting solutions or get involved with an organization that is doing that so that no one else has to be swept away by those raging currents. You can have an eternal impact from right here, but not if we're too scared stiff to act. God bless you.